0: We thank you, Father, that in the gospel, greater glory still is evident and that Christ, the newborn King, the risen and ascended Savior, can save the lowly, the broken, and the sinners, decrepit and lost as we were. We thank you, Father, that the work of Christ in transforming hearts that are caught in their transgressions and sin is evident in everyone that confesses faith truly in Christ as their Savior and Lord, repents and turns from the wickedness of their heart and places faith in the one who died in their place. Lord, I pray, even as we see the heavens opened and the advent of your incarnation, welcoming angels, emissaries of your will and purposes, to condescend to your people and then ascend before you in praise, Even this day, as we open your scriptures, I pray that we would behold the door of heaven open in our understanding and in our faith, that we might see more clearly our lives, our calling, those around us, and the day in which we live through the perspective of the Spirit's eye in the Holy Scriptures and through that framework and vantage point that your Holy Word gives us. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us grace, to take advantage of this season, but this entire new year as well, Lord, to shine for you and to grow in faith and in understanding and joy and worship and obedience to Christ our Savior. If there are any lost in the hearing of the word proclaimed this day, I pray that for them the conviction of the Spirit would fall upon them, that they might turn from their sins and turn to Christ, the only Savior and Lord. As we behold in your scriptures Lord, the things that made that reality possible, I pray that we would be quickened to more joy and worship still, even as we pray that you would use the proclamation of your word to call those dead in sin to new life in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Praise the Lord. This morning I invite you to join with me in turning to Genesis chapter 28 and we'll consider a incarnation cross reference that you may remember from last year and also from the life of Jacob. And this is Jacob's incredible and profound dream where angels are ascending and descending upon a ladder or staircase that he sees in the night hour. Jacob in the exile with a stone for a pillow His eyes of his understanding are opened through this means of revelation to behold the purposes of God pictured in this glorious form. Now, I have argued from messages past that this is a central vision that helps us to understand the work of God in history and has multiple touchstones of fulfillment provisionally and ultimately through the Scriptures. Today, we'll touch upon that theme once again. Today's sermon title is Heaven's Gate and Advent heaven's gates and advent. Uh, Jacob says of this place that truly he has been in the house of God and has witnessed the gate of heaven, Genesis 28:17. That is to say, a door, or an opening or access, a portal, if you will, or a means of revelation or a connection between heaven and earth is somehow witnessed by this, the undeserving exile sinner, Jacob. Nevertheless, a covenant son called to behold the glories of God and salvation witnesses the opening of heaven's gate and a ladder extended between him and the glorious realms above. The aim of this morning's message is further understanding and fulfillment of this text. That is, to behold the glories of heaven open through Jesus Christ. If there is a gate open to heaven, we come to find in the fulfillment of this very dream it is only open because Christ himself is the ladder the ladder upon which angels ascend, ascend and descend, so to speak, to accomplish God's holy will. With that introduction and your hearts tuned and in reverence for the scripture, would you stand uh, for the reading of God's word today? Behold, in your hearing, Genesis 28, 10 through 17, and the record of Jacob's vision. Here is the word of God. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abor- abroad to the east, to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Th- verse 16 Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! It is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Praise the Lord for His holy word in moments like this which really provide for both the imagination and the understanding, inspiration to behold the glories of the Lord revealed in His Scripture in so many awesome, incredible, and beautiful ways. Today we see a prophesied in this dream, the advent of heaven's gate open, and somehow a bridge or connection made between the holy realms in which God dwells and a sinner such as Jacob is, and we are as well. In keeping with our Advent theme I'd like today to tie this message in to where we left off last Christmas. You may not recall, but I'll remind you and hopefully it'll jog your memory. Tying into messages from last Christmas and in keeping with our Advent theme, we pick up on more points of fulfillment for Jacob's dream today. So our Advent theme for this year has been the significance of incarnation events magnified from scriptural cross-references. So the meaning of Jesus coming in time and taking on flesh, we can have more understanding of the depth and significance of that when we consider prophecies and pictures such as this one in Genesis 28, even from Old Testament cross-references. Today's message picks up where we left off a year ago, exploring the fulfillment of Jacob's profound dream in Genesis 28, where he beholds heaven's staircase touching ground as angels ascend And descend upon it. Now, if you go through Old Covenant history and you keep in mind this picture that Jacob sees, you might find from time to time that there are events which correspond to what Jacob sees in the night hour. That is, in the Old Testament, there are, if you will, glimpses of heaven's ladder, instances where uh, that ladder escorted angels to further the purposes of God as redemptive history unfolds. Now, events like this, I think of one, for instance, in the uh, ascending and descending events with angels. This happened in the case of Gideon, the angel of the Lord. This happened in the case of Manoah, Samson's father, in the case of a message of an unlikely child, of promise to be born, and so forth. And there are times when the heavens are opened a bit so that people are able to see into the spiritual realms and recognize that God is at work interacting with their situation in such a way as to accomplish His will. These are glimpses of heaven's ladder escorting emissaries of God's purposes to further His will in redemptive history as it unfolds. All of this notwithstanding, however, none of these instances in the Old Covenant even remotely approach, I submit, the miraculous events involving angels and heaven opening in the era of Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of Jacob's dream is most evident at the advent of the Incarnation. Jesus Himself announces to His disciple Nathaniel in John 1.51 that He Himself is the fulfillment of this picture when He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, Jesus proclaims His incarnation, the Son of Man, as the ladder itself. The angels and ascending and descending upon Him. Jesus proclaims His incarnation as the ladder itself. Through Him, the promise of reconciliation with God would be realized. And true to Jesus' words, if you go through the Gospels. You can mark, and we will today mark a few, Lord willing, glorious, revelatory, angelic activity which signals heaven's staircase touching ground through the ministry of Jesus Christ. From time to time, by God's order and choosing, we find the heavens opened in the ministry of Jesus and angels ascending and descending, in fact, upon Him in a very real and literal sense, Last year, we noted the beginning of, the, of these activities around Christmas time, in fact, the original Christmas, that is. Descending angels appeared to who first? Well, Zechariah was the priest in the temple. You remember that, kids? What was the name of the angel that visited Zechariah in the temple? Same one that, Gabriel, that's correct. Same angel that visited who else? Gabriel visited Zechariah, and then uh, shortly thereafter, he visited who? Mary. Mary, that is correct. What is this? This, I submit, is the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending to accomplish the purposes of the incarnation, God's will and the salvation of man through these events. So the angels descend to visit a priest, Zechariah, a barren priest, childless, but that would change. The angels descend to visit, visit a virgin who the Lord shows favor upon, Mary, and she, by the Holy Spirit, would conceive our Lord himself. Furthermore, the angels descend unto Joseph, calling him a son of David, and telling him, instructing him that he is to be the adoptive, if you will, father of his Lord Jesus Christ, and not to be afraid for that which God had accomplished in his wife-to-be Mary was by the Holy Spirit of God. Furthermore, the angels descended, we'll touch upon this moment today, to shepherds in the field, a whole lot of them, proclaiming that the heavens are open, and the moments of Jacob's ladder, And its fulfillment was upon them, even these, the lowly shepherds in the fields. So, as we see all these things, we start to get a picture of some of these threads of redemptive history and prophecy tied together. You could perhaps derive from this that uh, some that the ladder, Jacob's ladder, is a symbolic depiction of these spiritual realities and experiences. The angels ascending and descending, bringing the message of hope for mankind. That is, the latter in Jacob's dream symbolically depicted these kinds of events. Via his messengers, these angels in particular, the eternal and transcendent God is interacting with his creation. Ultimately, through his true and ultimate covenant son, Jesus Christ, the divine son of God, the incarnate one, the God-man, Jesus Christ himself. Think of the movement of those angels coming down and then going up. Right kids, that's what condescend means what? Condescend or descend. Going yes, and ascend, thank you, Enoch means going up. So think of that vertical movement of the angels up and down as it were Jacob's ladder in that picture. What is significant about this? Well, the movement, this vertical movement of the angels is indicative of a condescension, stooping low, taking on flesh, visiting man, or bringing God's will and purposes, or announcing them, or accomplishing things, or interacting in creation itself. And then ascension, a raising up and exalting. And so this condescending and ascending uh, motif as we see in this picture is true of Jesus' ministry. It's true of uh, our ministry future, and destiny. If you are in Christ, the Lord condescends to us to lift us up to Him. And this was the movement of many angels during the time of Christmas and beyond, the original one, that is. This, this, after all, condescension and ascension, is an ordained means of communion, reconciliation, and redemption with God. Through the course of Jesus' ministry, we note that the heavens are opened and uh, in supernatural revelation, and sometimes this is extremely dramatic indeed, and secondly, there are multiple angelic visitations which signal <clears throat> signal supernatural activity in the service of God's will for the salvation of His people. So just in summary, as Jesus prophesies to Nathaniel, from now on you will see the heavens open and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. When you think of heavens open, think of supernatural, special revelation, God showing his purposes and his will, and in some cases himself and his son certainly to people who have eyes to see. And then when you think of angelic visitation, think of supernatural activity, God working miracles in the service of his will for the salvation of his people. The heavens open and angels coming down and going up. Here's a heading. The New Testament or New Testament signal events via open heaven and attending angels, or a little shorter, important or signal events via, that means by means of, open heaven and attending angels. And I have four of them I'd like to mark as fulfillments of Genesis 28. First, Jesus' birth announced. That is, Jesus' birth was announced via open heaven and attending angels. Secondly, Jesus' testing or probation accomplished his temptation in the wilderness, Matthew 3 and 4. This also happened via open heaven and attending angels. Number three, Jesus' resurrection proclaimed, again, by means of open heaven and attending angels, Luke 9 and John 20. And then finally, Jesus' ascension and second advent promised in Acts chapter 1. This happened, accompanied by an open heaven and attending angels. So just a fulfillment of Jesus' words and Jacob's prophecy marked in these four locations. That will be kind of our overview message, so hang on for the ride, I guess. First of all, let's turn to Luke 2. Where do we see Genesis 28? The heavens open, a staircase touching ground, and angels ascending and descending. Where do we see Genesis 28 fulfilled in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, among the first instances, along with other visitations, are the angels in the fields on that glorious Christmas night that we're so familiar with. Think of Genesis 28 in your mind as we read Luke 2.8. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with fear. Pause there. Why filled with fear? The glory of the Lord... Via an open heaven, the gate of heaven opened and the glory of Christ was visible to these lowly shepherds. Something so extraordinary so extraordinary, and so marvelous that they would talk about it for the rest of their lives. And it was so moving and so intense, so dramatic and terrifying that they quaked with fear. They needed reassurance from God's messengers. And what happens next? An angel condescends, comes down, stoops low, and brings a message of comfort and peace. In verse 10, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Angels condescending down Jacob's ladder to proclaim that he has come. Verse 12, And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And kids, who joined that first angel? Remind us, soon there was what? A whole host, that's correct. And suddenly suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. And then the angel's... After descending, then they ascend again. They went away from them into heaven. And the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. How did the Lord make known this glorious advent of Jesus Christ to the shepherds? He made it known via open heaven and attending angels. On that glorious night, the heavens opened to reveal the heavenly hosts. Those would be multitudes... Presumably beyond man's ability to count the armies of God's will and purposes populating the realms of glory and proclaiming in union and unity and song the joyous and powerful and eternal proclamation of incarnation of Christ come to save sinners <clears throat> this angelic visitation that this shepherds witness joins that of Mary Zechariah and Joseph and the Holy Spirit visiting still others. Holy Spirit was also active, not just the angels. At the time, Jesus, after all, was conceived of the Holy Spirit in Matthew 1.8. This is that supernatural activity we were talking about. God's will and purposes at the time of His choosing for the purposes of saving man, active, involved, and accomplishing His will that was forever His purposes before even time began. Elizabeth, moved by the holy spirit confesses prophecy and that same holy spirit we recognize baptizing john even in his mother's womb as he shouts if you will by leaping behold the lamb of god that takes away the sin of the world still within the womb of his mother when he meets jesus for that first time before either of them are born and then later after eight days jesus is presented in the temple And in Matthew 2, 25 through 32, another man moved by the Holy Spirit, Simeon, one who is blameless and waiting for the coming one, a devout worshiper of Yahweh, recognizes his son, how, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The heavens open by the power of the Holy Spirit to the understanding of Simeon. And he sees not a helpless eight-day-old baby in his arms like any other ordinary child, coming for ritual ceremony at the temple, but he sees in the eye of this little one, infant in his arms, his own savior, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Yahweh in flesh. How were these things recognized? Well, for those who had eyes to see, once again, the heavens were opening to reveal the heavenly host proclaiming this, and the Holy Spirit was opening eyes to recognize the coming Messiah. We note the contrast of these heavenly hosts, by the way, with times of visitation in the Old Testament. One that comes to mind is 2 Kings 6, 17 through 20. Without time to turn there, perhaps you remember, Elijah's servant is doubting. Israel is surrounded by enemies. The Syrians are camped outside the walls of Jerusalem, as I recall. And the uh, servant's eyes are open for a brief moment to witness, I suggest, these same armies, that are encamped. And what are they ready to do? They're there to strike the Syrians blind, the Lord's command. And so they're making war. They're assembling. The armies of heaven are there, marching at the command of their great general to strike with judgment the Syrians that had placed themselves at odds with God's people, as they should. And as we look at that, you know, the hosts of heaven, they assemble to enact God's judgment on the final day. It says Jesus will return with an army of angels to judge uh, those according to their works. And based upon either our salvation in Jesus Christ or our filthy rags that we have without him, those angels will enact the will of God in that great judgment to come. Angels are there as emissaries of God's purposes in salvation, or they're there to follow God's command in judgment. And so in this Old Testament picture, the hosts of the armies of heaven gather to bring judgment on sinners. And we can relate to those Syrians, outcasts, Gentiles, unwelcome into the presence of God because of the wickedness of our own hearts. But there would be a change. The heavens would open and angels would come down. And at first the sinner is afraid The shepherd's quaking in his boots. Will I be like the Syrian? Will will I be struck blind and rightfully so for my sin? Will I be judged? Is this my day of reckoning? Will I be sent to hell for my rebellion against God Almighty? But this time the angels come to deliver a message for those whose hearts are awakened to the reality of the King of Kings come to save them. It's a message of glory, yes, but it's also a message of joy, and it's a message of peace, Peace on earth among those with whom the Lord is pleased. His angels descend to proclaim the incarnation's nativity. That is the birth of God become man. <clears throat> History's red carpet is unfurled for the coming of the second person of the Trinity in Bethlehem's manger. And thus the angels, when they're dispatched on this day, they bring news for sinners that in Bethlehem is born the Savior of all who would turn and trust in Him. We compare this announcement of the Incarnation's nativity to other announcements of old. I'm thinking of one at the end of the book of Ruth, chapter 4, 13 through 17. The countrymen gather, and they congratulate, and the women of the city are there assembled, and they bring to the parents their well-wishes, and they invoke a blessing on Obed, this covenant son Of Ruth and Boaz. Well, this is kind of like that, but it's magnified exponentially. There's an announcement of a baby born, an invocation of a blessing, attending this glorious moment. But but this announcement is brought by the hosts of heaven in the realms of glory, coming to tell the world who would hear a king is born this day, Jesus Christ, lowly in a manger, and you will find him there, if you open your eyes to the, to the reality of God's purposes in the salvation of men. <clears throat> when we think of angels and their purposes throughout redemptive history, we also should keep in mind all the way back in Genesis three twenty four, when Adam and Eve fell in their sins, God get, uh, dispatched, he commissioned two angels, Cherub, to stand with flaming swords to guard the presence of God. Think of it this way, it's kind of a big picture angels in the ark of redemptive history. Man sinned and he was undeserving of God's presence. A holy God cannot allow any stain or corruption within his realm and so he kicks us out. He drives Adam and Eve outside and he slams the door of Eden. He locks the door of heaven as it were and angels are there to guard it. But because of that promise to Eve that a son would be born that would crush the serpent's head There remained hope that somehow, some way, the door of heaven, locked and guarded by angels, would be opened, would be unlocked. And how could this happen? By Jacob's ladder, by Jesus Christ. And who would tell the news? The same angels, as it were, that guard the gates of glory, pictured as cherubim, you know, in temple worship as well, guarding the mercy seat. Yet somehow, some way, by the sacrificial blood, of atonement, on the mercy seat of God's will and purposes, the same angels that once said, no trespassing with the sword of judgment. Now the gates of heaven are flung open, and they say unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You will find him wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." Signal events via an open heaven and signal events with attending angels announcing the birth of Jesus Christ. Now the second point in the Gospels of Genesis 28 fulfillment that I'd like to touch upon that's signaled by an open heaven and attending angels is the inauguration or the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3 and we'll touch on a couple references there. Here we find Jesus' probation accomplished. Signal events by open heaven and attending angels, Jesus' birth is announced. Secondly, Jesus' probation or testing is accomplished. More on that in a moment. We touched on this last week, but let us reiterate. Now, last week we talked about the coming Messiah, according to Isaiah 61, will be recognized by four things. He'll be recognized according to his redemption, his reckoning, his anointing and his revelation. And you might ask the question, when was Jesus anointed? That is commissioned by God in ceremony to be recognized and all or called and recognized and also to be indwelt or filled with the power to accomplish God's purposes. Well, this happened at his baptism. We pick up on this in Matthew 3:13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan. Uh, to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and to you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, Jesus, consented, or John, excuse me, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold what the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased so you see here the fulfillment of genesis 28 and jesus words to nathaniel you will see the heavens opened and the angels of god ascending and descending upon the son of man at His anointing, at His commissioning, at the inauguration, at the beginning of His ministry, the heavens were opened. They were opened to do what? To anoint Jesus Christ and to commission and affirm Him from the voice of the sovereign in glory. God the Father proclaims there is a triune testimony, each member of the Godhead involved at this moment to anoint Jesus and to declare He is the one who will accomplish all things necessary to place man in restored covenant relationship with, his, with the Lord once again. Messiah would be recognized in Isaiah's words according to his anointing. And at this moment, the heavens poured down as it were the Holy Spirit. And again, that descending picture or movement is, a, we recall that or we recognize that in this moment as the Spirit taking the form of a dove Calls upon the Lord. And as we remarked last week, we note again that Jesus was led then, for one, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. So the anointing and commissioning of Jesus, when the heavens opened to prepare him and to commission him for his ministry, the very next place they led him was to the wilderness. For 40 days of fasting, to endure temptation beyond what you and I could ever know, Jesus in this act was going to his, uh, the work that he must do to be qualified to be the second Adam. This is a concept that may not be as familiar to us as others, called federal headship, but if you have some theological familiarity, I trust you'll recognize the events and their significance. Adam was called to a covenant relationship with the Lord in the first place. And there was conditions for his communion with God. He must keep the law perfectly and without fail. And the presumption was, if he did so, he would advance to a higher level, if you will, communion with the Lord. That would be a testing, a probation period. And kids, God gave one rule to Adam and Eve. What was it? You shall not... Eat the stuff from the tree. Eat the stuff from the tree. Very good. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit, that was forbidden. So this was the law laid down for Adam and Eve. And upon their perfect and precise obedience, then presumably they would advance to further communion and relationship with the Lord as a first Adam. Did they succeed or did they fail? Well, of course, they failed. And this is called the fall. But John is, or, sorry, Paul is clear, and the rest of the scriptures testify that there would come a second Adam, one who had passed the temptation on behalf of all who are in him. And this is the first place the Holy Spirit led Jesus. So the heavens were opened to declare the affirmation of God the Father, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is the second Adam who had pass the test on behalf of all who are covenantally bound to him. And then Jesus heads straight to the wilderness, led there by the Holy Spirit. In order to be tempted by the devil, there's a purpose in this. This is a sovereign organization of events. In verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, according to God's word, and rightfully so is the second Adam, taking the covenant, bond, and authority of God's word, more using that as his weapon and his confidence and his place to stand. Instead of the temptation of the enemy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And three times he defeated temptation in this way. Jesus said to him again in verse 7, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And there's a detail in the text then that closes this segment of Jesus' early ministry and this calling and anointing to endure temptation on our behalf. That comes a little bit more clear in light of the fulfillment of Jacob's latter vision. Verse 11, when the devil left him, behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So do you see at the anointing and inauguration of Jesus' ministry, when he passed his probation, it was attended by two things. The heavens opening, saying, behold, this is the second Adam, if you will. This is my beloved son and secondly, by angels descending to minister to him. The angels descended to attend Jesus in his trial. In this second Adam commission ceremony and probation, we find these elements of prophecy to Nathaniel, and these elements pictured in Jacob's dream coming to fruition. The testing of perfect covenantal obedience unto consummate communion was necessary for our federal head to grant to us the imputed righteousness, we call this the great exchange. Because of Jesus' righteousness, enduring temptation, and passing the test of the enemy to break covenant and standing instead on the covenant, this righteousness, this perfect law-keeping, this justification of Jesus, if you will, is transferred to us in the great exchange in the gospel. His righteousness and not succumbing to temptation is counted as ours if we believe and trust in him. And the intensity and significance of this ordeal is communicated to to us by details in the text, including his 40-day deprivation timeframe with no food, the escalating temptation of the enemy, and finally, this angelic intervention upon his decisive and eternal victory where the angels come and minister to him. That is, the attending angels or these agents of God's purposes dispatched to assist Jesus, having satisfied the terms of the covenant and successfully passing the test or the probation phase of His ministry. So that is a signal event that is attended by an open heaven and attending angels. And this brings us to number three. Signal events via open heaven and attending angels. Jesus' resurrection His resurrection and his death, the work, the apex, if you will, of his redemptive work is proclaimed by an open heaven and it's also attended by descending angels. Here we'll turn to two references. Let's go first to Luke chapter 9. In Luke 9, this is Luke's account of the Mount of Transfiguration. That's quite the scene indeed, and whatever could it mean? We read verse 28, Now about eight days after these sayings he took with him, that is Jesus took, Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him. Kids, who are these two men talking to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Does anyone remember? That's correct, Judah. Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. That's a, 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 a significant phrase as well. Verse 31, so Moses and Elijah and Jesus are conferring and the apostles are listening in to this conversation about Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That would be Jesus, our Lord, setting his face like flint to another testing phase in his ministry, if you will, going to the cross, bearing the weight of God's wrath in our place, about to be sacrificed as the lamb slain for the sins of his people. Verse 32, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from them, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, listen, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And this cloud invokes the presence of God manifest in the Old Testament in what we call Shekinah glory. The Lord is tangibly evident in the environment, is there, and who is this? Verse 35, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one listen to him and when the voice had spoken Jesus was found alone and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen at these moments moments like this the heavens open to reveal the glory of Jesus and also the purpose for which he was sent that glory of the veil of incarnation is lifted and there's a glimpse that these three privileged disciples get to see of the divinity of Jesus before he was incarnate, that glory that radiated from him that was evident to them in his face shining. This reminds us of Moses of old. But think of the difference between the sun and the moon, if you will, just as an analogy. The sun is a light source by virtue of its own you know, heat and that um, energy source, it is a flaming ball. They tell us of hydrogen-fueled light that travels light years into the distance and fills up our day with enough light to see for hours and hours. At night, there is a lesser light, but it is one of reflection. Of course, that would be the moon. Well, Moses of old, there was a sort of reflective light on the face of the prophet, and it would be veiled too, and it was a picture of a perfect Moses to come The thing about the glory on Moses' face is that he was a sinner. He was just a type and a figure of one to come, and that glory would fade and diminish. Yet, even that reflective glory was enough that it freaked the people out enough that they would veil his face. Well, now we see the Moses to come and the veil lifted, and the radiance is magnified beyond what anyone has ever seen before. This is the second person of the Trinity. This is God in flesh. And thus the heavens opened to reveal the pre-incarnate glory of the second person of the Trinity that was forever enjoyed before the Father by Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And so it should come as no surprise, well, it would be, I mean, just because humans, mere humans, these disciples are trying to process all these things, but it was announced to them by the heavens open, revealed to them that this is both the divine Son and He would be killed. This is an incredible miracle that the Lord will accomplish and it is necessary for our redemption. And the work of Jesus on Calvary and his resurrection was proclaimed by an open heaven to those with eyes to see. And it was also attended by descending angels. And for this reference, let's turn to John 20. After Jesus goes to the cross at departure to Jerusalem as he, Moses and Elijah had spoken about, then of course he's in the grave but three short days. And that glory that he knew forever before taking on humanity proves to be stronger than death. And thus he rises from the grave. And here's how the events unfold to one Mary in John 20, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Kids, what does she see? She sees two of these inside the tomb. Anyone remember? Angels, angels that's correct. Verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, "Woman, why are you weeping?" She said to them, "They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him." Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, "Woman, why are you weeping?" "'Whom are you seeking, supposing him to be the gardener?' "'She said to him, "'Sir, if you have carried him away, "'tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away.' "'Jesus said to her, "'Mary.' "'She turned and said to him in Aramaic, "'Rabboni,' which means teacher. "'Jesus said to her, "'Do not cling to me, "'for I have not yet ascended to the Father, "'but go to my brothers and say to them, "'I am ascending to my Father,' And your father and to my god and your god mary magdalene went and announced to the disciples i have seen the lord and that he said these things to her so here again we have angels that appear in the ministry of christ to proclaim the resurrection and i would go further to say this and you may have heard this from sermons in the past it bears repeating these angels frame the true mercy seat In this picture of one angel at the head and one angel at the foot of where Jesus lay, we see the fulfillment of the atoning pictures of old. These angels confirm that the ultimate blood of the one lamb that can take away the sins of the world has been shed and that sacrifice is once for all and perfectly sufficient for all who had placed their faith in him. And where that dead body lay for three days was the true mercy seat. And the blood that drained from his corpse, his human form was necessary to pay for our sins. And thus that picture of the cherubim sitting on either side of the mercy seat, the tabernacle furniture at the Ark of the Covenant is now fulfilled here as one takes their place at the head and the foot of where Jesus lay, signaling by angels descending to proclaim the mercy seat The blood has been spilled on the mercy seat. For your salvation, Mary Magdalene, go tell everybody that he is risen. And Jesus echoes this, of course. Jesus, in fact, reveals himself in his resurrection glorious body to her, but says there's more glory yet to come. He, in fact, is soon to ascend to the right hand of the majesty on high. So we find him in Hebrews chapter 1. Thus, Jesus' resurrection is proclaimed. The heavens open to reveal the glory of Jesus and God's purposes in sending him to Calvary. And then the resurrection or the angels descend to frame the mercy seat and to proclaim, as we see in other texts, parallel accounts, that he is risen indeed. The final event attended by open heavens and angels we find in Acts 1 today. And this is that moment that Jesus was telling Mary was soon to come. So turn with me there as we close this message. Again, signal events via open heaven and attending angels. Acts chapter 1, it happens yet again. The heavens open and angels descend. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, angels, we assume, and said, verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And this, by the way, is the second advent prophesied. Jesus will come again. But in this instance, at Jesus' ascension, and advent, second advent promised, the heavens open. To receive the ascending Son of Man, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, prophesied in Daniel 7:13 and 14, who, upon his work of redemption, will be exalted. He who condescended is now lifted up. He who stooped low and was humiliated is now exalted and glorified. Even more, if it could be said, now declaring victory over sin and the grave and ransoming for himself a people and declaring sovereignty over all the peoples, all authorities, and all nations of the earth as his inheritance granted to him as a reward for his work in Calvary by the Ancient of Days. The heavens open to receive, in Acts chapter 1, the fulfillment of Daniel 7, the ascending Son of Man. And thus, Jacob's ladder, as it were, Jesus, now passes through in glory. And we look forward to His second advent, where he will take us in the second resurrection, if you know him, through the door of heaven's gates. Heaven's gates are flung wide open through the narrow way of Jesus Christ. Just as by his flesh and blood he entered into the Holy of Holies, taking all who are in him, with him, into God's presence. So we see this picture of him ascending through the gates of glory as a precursor of our own destiny if we are in Jesus Christ. The angels will come one day to take us in Christ up that ladder as it were to enjoy perfect, consummate, fulfilled communion, fellowship, restoration, new heavens, new earth, joy, feasting, and worship forever without end with our Lord and Savior who was slain to accomplish that very thing. In Acts chapter 1, at the ascension, witnessed by these, our forebears in the faith, we see the heavens open to receive the victorious and ascending Son of Man, to rightfully reclaim His glorious place at His Father's right hand. And also we see angels, do we not? Not only does Christ descend, but angels descend as it were, and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you will come in the same way you saw Him go into heaven. This promise is assured and it is ours It's the promise of another coming, a second advent, if you will, a coming of the Lord in glory. He will be attended by angels once again, the book of Matthew tells us, and he will take his own with him, and his enemies he will judge and condemn to eternal fire. And this is what the angels proclaim. And in the meantime, we also have our marching orders, along with that first audience of disciples, go and fulfill what Jesus said, the great commission, to proclaim this news, the real meaning of Christmas, the fulfillment of Genesis 28. Heaven's gate has opened in Jesus Christ, and as His angels, the purposes accomplished by God's messengers, even His people going forth now, we declare that there is a way, a truth, and a life, that the door of Eden once locked with, the judge, with these angels who stood with judgment in their hands and the power to kill anyone who tried to go in. Now throw open the gates and welcome all who trust Jesus who died in their place to grant them entry into glory. Now, I had a quote for you. I want to close with Philip. I'm not sure how to say his last name. I think it's uh, German. Uh, Feitaker or something, Philip H. Feitaker. He says, uh, he identifies from a looking at or reviewing church history three comings or advents of the Lord. Quote, since the time of Bernard of Clairvaux, so that was a Gaia theologian in 1153 during the Middle Ages. Our author continues, Christians have spoken of three comings of Christ. In the flesh in Bethlehem, in our hearts daily, and in glory at the end of time. What does Advent mean? It means coming or arrival or the occasion of a significant event. It is all, it's the word that is sometimes that is translated in the Greek parousia, which also means coming or arrival. It's the same term or a similar term in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord or reckoning as well. And as we've said before, it spells judgment, and defeat for god's enemies but salvation and glory for his people and there it is and it is the case in three senses there is a coming of the lord that we ought to recognize and the season is a great occasion for it number one jesus came in bethlehem the incarnation in the flesh to accomplish number two the coming of the lord in our hearts as we realize our salvation in Jesus Christ, repent of our sin and turn to him. And then number three, a third coming yet on the horizon, where in glory at the end of time, we, his people, will be ushered through the gate of heaven into his presence eternally. So the question is for us, what about number two? Have we heard the testimony of heaven? In the pages of Scripture, have, have the heavens and the revelation of the Lord been opened to us in the proclamation of the truths of the Bible? And thereby, has the coming number two been real for us? Have we welcomed Jesus Christ into our heart and life as our Lord and Savior, so to speak? If the answer is yes, then those who can join with me and say amen have the promise and the reassurance of that third coming, as it were, which is the second coming of Jesus, and to look forward to. So I urge you this day, in the hearing of this message, if you do not have the assurance of Christ come in your heart and life, your understanding and submission to the gospel, Jesus Christ as your savior, to die in your place for your sins, turn to him this day. For those who can relate and shout amen to this message, take this message with the, and take it to the opportunities that God provides you, whether this season and into the new year, to share the coming of Christ with someone who maybe has not seen him as of yet. Let us close in prayer. Father, as we, in the way we mark our calendars, begin to wind down in this year and open up in our minds at least a new chapter with the coming of the next, I pray that you would just overwhelm us once again with the memory and testimony of your faithfulness to us, not only in our daily bread and day-to-day affairs, Lord, where you answer prayer and give us the necessary and encouraging uh, things that we need, Lord, but also, and so much more so, in the eternal bread of life, Jesus Christ, guaranteeing for us safe passage unto glory one day. Lord, I pray that we would be equipped and encouraged by the preaching of your word and by the meditations and spiritual disciplines, Lord, as we spend time in your scriptures, as we seek to grow in faith and understanding, I pray that through these means that you would equip us to bear the message and the hope that this season represents, but it's true and powerful every single day that heaven's gates are open in and through Jesus Christ. And in him, we have (coughs) salvation eternally and forevermore. Thank you, Lord, for these things. May you be glorified in our hearts and this and the next year to the praise of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen.